Our world is lost in unnecessary fear and hurt. Our systems seem scientifically engineered to make you small, powerless, and always waiting for the next great leader who will fix the problems around us. Worse, we're witnessing neighbor versus neighbor while warfare breaks out around our family tables. But you have access to a spirit, a strength that enlarges and empowers you. Even better, you don't need to wait for the next big movement. You can heal the world. It's time for governance by Grace. Welcome to Gracearchy with Jim Babka. Hey, the next great leader who will fix the problems of the world, Jim, is that you? <laughs> no, no, I do not want that job. Thank you very much. I can't and say I, I blame suspicious. you. I am suspicious of anyone who wants it. You know, this is one of the things that bugs me about this whole McCarthy Speaker of the House thing and the long drawn out harangue that the media wants us to believe that happened there. But before we get into McCarthy, um, can we take on the New York Times one more time? <laughs> We're going to do it quite a few times if we keep going. <laughs> if the Lord lets me live long enough, we haven't even begun. <laughs> I, you know, you are uniquely qualified in this role, man, because, okay, so the, I'll put it right up front. The morning on the 9th from the New York Times, regular mm -hmm. column called a dysfunctional Congress. If you're following along at home, we'll post it in the show, no show notes. But this article got so much wrong. And Jim, I know your background, and I want you to help set us straight here and offer a little grace on this whole issue of electing Speaker McCarthy and the really amazing things that happened along the way, because those are just not anywhere in the major media right now. Can we do it? Dig in and just sort of run through it chapter and verse? Yes. Yeah, definitely. So uh, my qualifications, uh, I have for uh, 18 and a half years been the president of Downsize DC. And in that role, uh, we have introduced the Read the Bills Act, the Write the Laws Act, and the One Subject at a Time Act. And Read the Bills and One Subject at a Time are going to be specifically germane to the discussion that we're going to have here today and what happened in this affair. Uh, I also, because of that, have interacted with people on the Hill and, and have learned an lo awful lot about how Capitol Hill works. What, what, what the real incentives and motives and behaviors are up there and why a fight like this has some importance. And that's what I, I really want to get into today. I think the best way to start all this is to give us some context, if you can, for what kind of actions are taking place during an attempt to elect a speaker. So in this particular case, this came immediately on the heels of a budget agreement passing what was called an omnibus bill. Now, when you hear omnibus, you ought to think giant, you ought to think Leviathan, you ought to think uh, gargantuan, you ought to think of a, a big scary monster because exactly what they do, do here in Congress is they pass large multi-topic bills that kind of cover everything but the kitchen sink. And they are thousands of pages long. And because they're at deadlines on various things, whether it's the end of the session, as it was in this case, or it is a, or maybe they're about to go on a vacation or something, they have some kind of break that they're taking, they will typically suspend the rules and drive something through. Uh, they will print up copies and they will have them, uh, those copies will be made available 
somewhere between a handful of hours and maybe 36 hours before the vote's going to occur. You can't even begin to describe how difficult it is to read a bill. Um, first off, you would make the mistake if you opened and looked at the bill and you saw the words therein that you were looking at in the English language. You're not. Um, you are looking at legalese, which is a completely different language. It looks an awful lot like English, but it's not. And the way it works is that they say something like, uh, uh, in subsection uh, paragraph two of code section, whatever, blah, 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 A, B, uh, substitute the word the for A and change the following, strike the following and add the following. Like that's how it's worded. It's it's very like you would need to have the bill next to you in order to be able to read the text of the legislation that's in front of you. You have to have the law, excuse me, the code. And that wouldn't be sufficient because every single one of these areas of law has a variety of terms of art inside that, that regulatory jurisdiction. And so even the plain reading of the code next to the lead, the bill that you're looking at would still not suffice because you would have to have some familiarity with how that area of law works and what the practices and customs are in that department. So, so fair to say that reading the bills takes an expert anyway? It does take an expert anyway. And now I want to make it much more compounded because if the pay, if the bill is 4,000 pages long, then we are basically talking, what, uh, eight novels, maybe nine, 10 novels in length. And it's nowhere near as interesting. And the idea that a congressperson is going to read it. Now, my favorite, when we were inspired to create the Read the Bills Act, it was Denny Hastert that was the speaker at the time. And they had a bill that they printed up one copy for the Democrats and one copy for the Republicans. And we were and that was just about a, eh, about 12, 14 hours before the vote was supposed to be cast. And it was, you know, I don't remember what the page count anymore. Let's say it was 1800 pages at the time. Uh, we were supposed to believe, I guess, that all of the members of Congress were from each caucus were over top of their leader's shoulders using their Evelyn Wood speed reading training together, because that's part of the oath of office, you get Evelyn Wood speed reading training, to be able to read this bill. And this is a fundamental violation of something we call fiduciary responsibility. Yes. So a large number of members of Congress are business owners, lawyers, and accountants, all three of which have a keen understanding of power of attorney and fiduciary responsibility. So if I have bill for you responsibility to sign a document on your behalf, then I have a duty to, to, to know what is actually in the document. I can't simply say, oh, this looks good. I'm going to sign Bill's life away. Right, right. right. There's yeah. repercussions for doing that. And there should be. But there's no similar repercussions for Congress. So when we created the Read the Bills Act, we said that every provision of the uh, that's brought before Congress, every bill should be uh, posted online for seven days for the public to be able to read. That's you, me, that's your favorite watchdog group, like Downsize DC, that's uh, 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 your favorite radio talk show host, whoever it is, but it should be out there to be to be broken down and disseminated. And we could break it up because we're not the ones voting on it. We can, you can take a piece and I can take a piece and we can all take a piece and we can share what we learn even, but we would have the time to do that. The bill had to be posted online for seven days and the clock started and this was my favorite provision of the bill, that uh, the clock started after a literal word for word in order reading of the bill was done in the House, in the Senate, 
with a quorum, which the Constitution defines as 50% plus one of the members, on the sitting floor, and listening. Right? Sitting, yep, and listening. sitting and listening to the whole thing. And why, Bill? Because if the mind will procure what the hiney will endure. How many 4,000-page bills are you going to have? Even if you've got the guy that used to do the old speed reading co TV commercials back in the 80s, even if you had somebody like that reading, how long is it going to take to get through it? And are they really going to sit and listen to, to that much of a bill? The bill We were downsized DC after all, and it's it's the idea was that the bills would get shorter, they would get more thoroughly read and dissected and debated, and some those things that did not deserve to to pass would not pass. So, so I understand why they suspend the rules because who wants to spend that kind of time? But mm -hmm. then that's shirking your fiduciary responsibility. Correct, correct. But this isn't the only thing they do. So I don't know. I mean, you're you know you're older than me. You're you're, you're senior to me. <laughs> I don't know. Did in on, do you remember Saturday morning cartoons? Absolutely, yes. Did do you remember Schoolhouse Rock? No, no, no. That came after my Saturday morning okay. cartoon. So that was my era. That was your and era. And there was a very famous one called, uh, you know, I'm just a bill up on Capitol Hill. Right? Yeah. And this was yeah. very famous at the time. And I just want to announce to everybody, I'm really sorry to break this news to you. I'm going to destroy your childhood right now. It's baloney. It's not how a bill is passed. Okay. So if you want to get a bill passed, Bill, if you really want to sneak something through, you've got something that's kind of difficult to get done. What you do is you find a sure-to-pass bill. You take uh, maybe the, def the, the Defense Appropriation Act, because who's going to vote against the troops? Or you take the transportation bill, the highway bill, uh, which is pork-laden anyway, and it's full of vote swapping. And you insert a clause in there. You say, hey, I'm going to give you my vote, but in exchange, I need you to put these things in there. These are all things, by the way, that have nothing to do with the main uh, bill. And they this bill's sure-to-pass so even though they're unrelated, my things pass without debate, without uh, being dissected, without any consideration whatsoever. They go sure. sailing right through. Okay. We, we read about in that cartoon. Things. They made it seem like it's so hard to get a bill passed. I'm, I'm just sitting here on the steps, barely. You know, I mean, it's no, it was, it's really easy. You just shove it, you know, cram it in there and then you send it out the door. I call it clustering because it's like a cluster. Well, you fill in the rest. Yes, and this you is definitely that. not one subject at a time, right? We're talking about this. This, so we are saying the opposite. We're saying that there should be a one subject at a time act, yeah. and it should say the so the bill that we introduced there, and it's got multiple co-sponsors in the previous Congress. We've had as many as twenty-seven in one Congress. Um, it's been this one was introduced in both the House and the Senate, and we we said that the bill had to have a clear descriptive title limited to one topic and everything inside the bill had to comport or had to be germane to that single topic. And that would avoid this clustering that they do where they, they wedge stuff in. And so the, this was the read the bills act and the one subject at a time act. Now, if you, if I may, I'd like to add one more thing here because it's going to be important to the discussion we're about to have. Our proposals are laws. The read the bills act, the one subject at a time act, these are laws. What we're going to be discussing in a moment is rules. Con Congress is making rules and the distinction is important. So we struggled here. The, a law is enforceable. A rule is waivable. And if you understand so anything about Congress, it's that they are the most anarchic institution in the land. They make rules all the time, but they don't follow their own rules. So that means they can waive a rule no matter how good that rule is. The idea behind the Read the Bills Act and the One Subject at a Time Act was that they were laws. 
And so we said, how are we going to enforce this when this is congressional behavior? How do we rein in Congress? So the I solution that we applied to this bill, uh, and we applied it to the Write the Laws Act too, is I think decently clever. We said that we can't stop them from passing a bill without reading it. We can't stop them from clustering things together. Those are actions we can't actually physically prevent. But we can make it so that if you find yourself in the dock, you're charged with not paying a tax or a levy, you're charged with not complying with a fine or a regulation or a rule that comes about as a result of one of these bills where they didn't follow the procedure that's spelled out and it was the law of the land, that you could present that information to the judge and you could say, Your Honor, they didn't follow the one subject at a time act. Look at, they've got all these topics in here. They didn't follow the Read the Bills Act. They they rushed this out in a one big stack and they voted on it mere hours later. And we can't find a single congressperson that will say that they read this bill, right? So we put that in there and the judge is instructed to kick the case out with impunity, meaning they can't bring those same charges back up against you again. So let them pass all the laws they want, not following it wouldn't be binding on us, which would kind of nullify the effect of them having to do done all this in the first place. Essentially, we wanted to take this so that they were either going to invest their time or they weren't going to pass laws on us anymore. I like the way you play, you phrase that, pass laws on us anymore. Mm -hmm. And I know a lot of it has to do with money and they need to make a legal dispensation of the money to make that happen. But there's so much else that's involved beyond the money we need to pay attention to. Okay, civics lesson is over, folks. Thank you for hanging in for this part of the <laughs> podcast. <laughs> I, I doubt it is. I got some ugly things to tell people today. I it's it's you know it, so folks. Poor Bill calls me last night. We're talking about this article for the New York Times, and he gets like forty minutes worth of. It's like I was filibustering. I had a lot to say about the way Congress functions and works, and I haven't even scratched the surface with the fact that they don't read their bills or write or. or or, or limit themselves to one topic. There's and now we're going to talk litany of litany suspending of the here. rules. Everything, everything's, I mean, when you suspend the suspend element, come on, Bill, spin it out. When you suspend the rules, anything goes. Yes. yes. Right. Which yes. is how we got to the speaker, uh, not the longest in, on history in history, by the way, but we got to this multiple iterations of trying to elect a house speaker and all the negotiations yes. and everything else that went along with it, that the New York times spun one way and, and, which was not factual. And that's what we want to address. Yeah. So let's, let's, let's do the good news before we do the bad news. Right? Cause we can spend a lot of time on the bad news, but let's make sure we get the good news in here. Okay? Absolutely. It's not quite read the bills act and it's not quite the one subject at a time act, but we have new congressional rules after the speaker fight that were part of the compromise uh, that was reached here. So this included a read the bill rule. There's a 72 hour provision the bill has to be available for 72 hours for the members to read. Um, the bills have to comport with a single subject requirement. And there is a germaneness. Uh, any member can make a, a motion, as I understand it, uh, to, and then a vote has to be had as to whether or not an amendment is actually germane. So the idea that you could shove something into the bill uh, is now called into question. Um, and the bills are limited to a single subject. Now, are they going to do this? I mean, like I said, it's it's going to be hard, but this is what this is part of what they were holding out for. They passed a massive spending omnibus bill that was 4000 pages long at the end of the last Congress before they went home. And these members were reacting in part to the to the fact that this has been standard practice. So 
I look at these concessions and these are the concessions that they announce as being the biggest deal about the deal that they reached with the speaker. This was the thing that they wanted to be the headline. The people who were dissenting, the 20 uh, or 21 members that were that at one point or another voted against McCarthy. This is part of the deal that they secured and they considered the biggest part of the deal that they concerned. You hear read the bills in the echoes of that. You hear one subject at a time in the echoes of that. Now I ask you, how many media sources did you see telling you that in the days and even since the days? Yes, it's it's very Big vanishingly zero. small. Well, let's be fair. The New York Times actually does refer to this stuff. Okay? But how do they refer to it? I mean, this is really, really interesting to me. They look at it as an, obs as an obstruction of the machinery of government. That's exactly right. So here's, and, their exact, here's their exact quote. One way to achieve yeah. this goal is by pushing Congress toward inaction. Consider some of the assurances that the holdout Republicans, we'll have to come back to that in a minute, received from McCarthy. More time to read and debate legislation, as well as to propose unlimited changes to it. So what they want you to believe is that that they're obstructing, they're throwing they're throwing sand in the gears, that, and that's all they're doing. We'll never get anything done. This these people are just so bad. There's been how long have we been doing this omnibus spending bill? For example, it's been <laughs> a while, right? It's been a while. So the last time, so Congress has what's called an appropriations process where a right. budget is set. The budget's broken up into appropriations numbers. There are various committees that uh, then go out and figure out how they're going to set up their appropriations funds, and they deliver that uh, those bills back, and those bills are voted on. The last time that this was A, done on time, and B, not done as some kind of clustered thing with a continuing resolution. Now, a continuing resolution means that we didn't get it done in time, so we're going to pass a, a, a short-term bill, a week, two weeks, a month, whatever, and we're going to come back, and with our new deadline, we're going to get these done. The last time that individual appropriations bills were passed without a continuing resolution, 1996. Okay. And the who, situation who has Just, Bill Clinton. I'm curious. Clinton? Bill Clinton. Okay. So we and, had- And Speaker of the Democrat House was Newt Gingrich. Got it. We had a- we had a uh, uh, two thirds of the power in Washington was centralized in the Democrat Party. No, we had. Uh, well, the presidency was Democrat. The the House and the Senate were Republican at the time. Oh, they were Republican. Here I'm thinking Newt. Okay, never mind. My history yeah. bad. Old guy. Yeah. But so, so with, but a, it, with a, it gets a significantly split. worse. Uh, at, in the era of Speaker Boehner, when he gets elected in opposition to Barack Obama. And and uh, they've they've been later and later for the most part, they have been more and more disorganized and they've had to kludge more and more stuff at the end. This 4000 page bill, this was epic. This follows years of bills that were twenty five hundred pages following years when they were sixteen and eighteen hundred pages. These bills have gotten bigger and they have taken longer and longer to get done. The budget process is supposed to be done before October 1st. This one was done right before Christmas. Yeah. And it's a kick the can down the road. Uh, don't read the bill. How can anybody understand what's in 4,000 pages worth of appropriation? That's our money, people. And we don't have anybody in Washington who's representing our interests on that, with the possible exception of people who are sort of, you know, <laughs> getting the pork that gets stuffed yeah. into these bills. 
So when I was promoting these bills and I was able to travel and speak around the country from roughly 2005 until about 2015, I can count on one hand the number of people I met, Republican, Democrat, Independent, Libertarian, Green, whatever, who did not support the Read the Bills Act. I could count on my fingers and toes the number of people who, it wasn't that they didn't support the One Subject of Time Act, they had questions or reservations about it. So long as I was outside the beltway of Washington, D.C. Once I got in the beltway, that picture changes. All of a sudden, they could think of reasons, just like the New York Times can, about why this is not good. Like, oh, we're we're so busy doing such wonderful work, it shouldn't even be checked, right? Just, just trust us. We're going to throw a bunch of stuff against the wall. It's all going to stick. It's all going to be wonderful. You're going to love it, right? Not it's the best bill that's people. ever been made. Exactly. But we exactly. don't have a choice. We don't have a say in this. I mean, we can promote... But ultimately, no, it's it's worse than that. You're being told that you support inaction. You're being told that you don't that you're, you're a bad person who wants to just muck up the works. Yeah. And I'm telling you, it didn't matter what party people were. Now, I don't know. Like, I haven't been out as much in the last four years to be able to talk about this. And so I don't know what the reaction would be now in the, the, the post Trump and, and now in the Biden era. But I can tell you that pre-Trump, it was universal. There was universal support for these ideas. You, I, party was not a predictor of whether or not you were interested in these proposals. So the fact that we got some rules out of the speaker election process that are the first step toward the Read the Bills Act law, the first step towards one sub subject at a time law, this is a really good thing. And unlike the New York Times, which is apparently spinning it as an obstruction, uh, it's not, because what it does is it re it strengthens our representative democracy in ways that every Congress since 1996 has failed to do. Yes, and and I think we should take a moment now and discuss not just the content of this article, but the content of the entire media coverage on this story, because it was in lockstep unison. So I watched. I don't watch often, but I watched a clip. I saw it on YouTube of Sean Hannity having one of these 20 dissident representatives, uh, uh, the woman from Colorado, who's uh, Lauren Boebert uh, on, and he accused her of being a, uh, sounding like a progressive, which is definitely meant as an insult. He accused her of, of dissembling and not answering questions. He cut her off, accused her of filibustering when she would attempt to answer his questions. He was as hostile to her as could possibly be. And he, his message was very, very straightforward and simple. You don't have the votes. Shut up and get in line. You don't have the votes. So why aren't you voting for McCarthy? He's got more votes than you. Shouldn't you just vote for him? Now, Bill, you might be able to relate to this experience. I'm thinking this is almost like being in a third party, right? Just a little bit. Yeah, we get told all the time, you're wasting your vote. You're wasting your vote. Like the idea is that I'm supposed to guess who's going to win and that's how I'm supposed to vote. That's never made any sense to me. Okay. It doesn't work. Right. <laughs> when I switched <laughs> to support Harry Brown in 1996, I, I was a Republican at the time. And so I start calling my Republican friends and saying, I'm not going to vote for Bob Dole. And they went, oh my gosh, you're going to elect Bill Clinton. Well, <laughs> I wish I had that much power that like my vote, Jim, hey, what is Jim Babka's vote? We now know who the president is going to be. Jim Babka has chosen his choice. You know, I mean, 
it was absurd on its face that my vote was going to matter that much. But I had this, this relationship here to understand, wait a minute, a group of people are being told that because they don't yet have the numbers, they are to get in line. And they are responsible for the end of the Republic if they don't. Or more appropriately, in this case, the end of the Republican Party if they don't. And Fox News and the Republican media outlets were scourging these people, defaming them. They were suggesting with a completely straight face that this was entirely motivated, completely motivated by self-aggrandizement, by personal motivations and, and, and uh, career climbing. This had nothing to do with principle whatsoever. Yeah. All the principle got ignored by Completely. the uh, by the bipolar media. It it was really crazy to to see that. And 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 I have a, a theory as to why this is. I think that it is it is that there is a cons a, a consensus in Washington uh an a, a secular establishment that is um neoconservative in nature and that it extends into both the Republican and Democrat parties. They are both pro-war in, in these, these, these uh, coalitions, and they are very much in, in agreement that there are certain elites that are supposed to run the show. And uh, within the Republican and Democratic caucus, they want to keep everybody in that party line, make sure that they're doing exactly what the leadership tells them to do, and the leadership is the one that gets to sell the goods uh, and, and, and decide who votes. And this extends itself in some extraordinary ways that we're going to get into in a second. But it's also the case that the media is very on board because what is the value of having celebrity access to the Speaker of the House, to the minority leader of each party, to the majority leader in the Senate? What is the cachet of having access? If you have to start and you got to go out and interview backbenchers that you don't even like, I mean, come on. This is good. Reporting could turn into real work. Imagine that. Yeah. So uh, there, there's clearly a bias here. And this article by the New York Times very, very makes this very, very clear. They talk about McCarthy made concessions that will weaken his power. This is a terrible thing. He's going to weaken his power. You are seeing headlines all over the place that this is the weakest speaker ever. I mean, it's so bad that even some of the alternative media sources that I prefer to turn to have not been able to pick up. If, if you're watching this show, you're getting a piece of information right now that even the alternative media is dropping the ball. How many times in the week, in the week that this was going on? And this was only a week, by the way. This is a Monday yeah, to Friday event. How many times did you hear this clown show, a circus? They can't get their act together. Right. But why did the Democrats also, why were they so concerned about who the speaker was? Why were they mocking and trying to make political points off of this? This wasn't mere partisanship. I want you to understand something. The people that are the leaders of the Democratic Party were horrified at what they were watching because they realized, oh my gosh, the squad's sitting right over there watching. Right. The, yeah. the, the real left progressive side of the party, the, the, Bur the AOC, Bernie Sanders, Elon Omar wing is, you know, man, might they do the same thing when the Democrats take over in power, hold out and, and expect certain concessions? We can't have this. So I'm telling you, everybody that has power in Washington, D.C. And, and a phony baloney cushy job attached to this system wanted to make sure that it stayed in place at all costs. And that's why the New York Times and Fox News and all of them could agree on this one thing. They could definitely agree that the American people having more say in their representatives represents an enemy culture. Imagine that. And here we are voting as we're told to vote, right? Yes. 
with the possible yes. exceptions of the two people in front of you right now, if you're watching or listening to this. Yes. So this, go yeah, ahead. You go first. Ahead. I was going to say this is well, scary, I, but you're you're right on with the next comments. <laughs> well, I just you know, the, a lot of people don't understand, Bill, and I. And this is as we start to try to land the plane here. I want to explain how Congress actually works because it'll make the fight even clearer. And and this is probably the worst news I'm going to have of all for you. And that is that your representative in this house, there's 435 of them, that there's roughly 400 of them that don't matter at all. So it is so bad. So think of it, there's the people who are at the top that run the committees, the major committees, appropriations, budget, uh, whatever. The people that run the committee, the rules committee, um, and the, the people who lead the caucus, particularly the speaker, have all the power. And they tell the backbenchers how they're going to vote, um, what they can and can't say. They give them a lot of very specific instructions as to what can be part of a debate and not part of a debate. So this pattern of being ignored and covered up, the backbenchers not being able to speak, has been a, has been a developing thing, mostly during this century. It's gotten ex exceedingly worse. And uh, again, we go back to the era of John Boehner uh, on the Republican side. There were the ability to make amendments was basically in, in several, in quite a few situations, the way the rules were written, basically illegal. Now, I don't know how that's possible constitutionally that your representative from, from California or my representative from Ohio can't stand up and make an amendment. Like, I don't understand how that's even possible but it was in the rules. It was structured that way. And, and, and down the, the trail it goes, but it kept those rules kept getting tighter and tighter and tighter and tighter. And the complaints have grown louder and louder and louder inside the caucus. And the leadership is aware of it and they didn't need to care. These top level people, they're called, they're nicknamed the Cardinals by people who are critical of them as in the Pope and his Cardinals. Yeah. And yeah. they make the rules and they tell, and it's so overtly bad. It's so overtly bad that the speaker's staff who are unelected will go and tell a your elected representative, if they're not part of the leadership, what they should do. They will give them instructions and they don't ask, they don't talk, they don't discuss, they don't open a dialogue. They come and say, you will do the following things. There's our representative democracy at work right there. So there's committee assignments at stake. There's special trips, access to certain information, oh, yeah. uh, money, uh, for the programs that you're trying to get funded back in your home district and uh, money for your election campaign, all being centralized and funneled through these, these caucuses that are designed to keep people in line. Worse, if you counter them, you don't get on any committee whatsoever. You get shut out of certain debates. You get personally treated like a pariah. I mean, like everybody's a social being. If you're somewhere and nobody's going to talk to you, like they can make that happen. They can run candidates in primary against you and they can fund those candidates after they've chosen to defund you, trying to take your seat away. And everybody knows that these are the rules. So almost everybody that goes up there plays by these rules from day one. Your representative gets elected. He stands in front of the crowd and he waves his hand. He's like, this is great. I can't wait to go to Washington to represent you. And he gets on a plane and he flies to Washington and he lands and they sit down and they have, they have an orientation. And you know what they tell him at that orientation? <laughs> here's how you will vote. Here's how you will walk. Here's, here's what you're you going to do. Here's how, you here's how it's going to work. Right? Yeah, the whole thing. Yeah. 
And to make your imprisonment even worse, they take away your ability to raise your own money. They tell you, Congressman Bill, that you're going to start raising money for the caucus. Here's the budget. And if you want to be on the Appropriations Committee, which is a big deal, right, you're going to need to raise this much money to get there. And you're going to raise it for us, not for you. So how so does this they, apply to the guy from Florida, that uh, Congressman Gates? Oh, <laughs> because this guy has, and I, you know, he does a lot of things that, that turn me sideways, okay? But so let's be clear. I'm not like trying to say he's St. Matt. You know, that's not my proposal here. But he has his own base. And he raises a lot of money online and he spends a lot of time on the television screen because he goes directly to his voters and he goes directly to the American people and they hate his guts for it, which is part of what was going on. Listen, Rogers coming in and being all like, you know, wanting that old man that wanted to fight and would have probably got his butt kicked. Um, His that didn't just happen because of the vote that was going on. I promise you there's a purple passion hate that goes on for the fact that this guy isn't getting in line. And when other congressmen have tried to speak up about this, when they've leaked what goes on, including the documents themselves, they have found primary opposition. They've gone right to the nuclear level. We're going to put somebody in the primary to run against you. Um, This is a pretty difficult, distressing, sad situation about how we're represented. And I want to say to you that this all adds up in some to the fact that you're not. You're not. You are a target. And most people are dupes in that they're playing for one team or the other, and they're acting like that's what what matters. So they're contributing to the problem. And, you know, the New York Times and Fox News agree that you shouldn't be have a voice at the table. The Republicans and Democrats agree that you shouldn't have a voice at the table. That's how the system works. And there were only 20 people that were willing to stand up to this in this last vote. Do you think there are more than 20 people in the United States who, knowing this, would stand up for it? Yes. Uh, so we have been uh, at Downsize DC working to build something called the 300. Uh, we haven't had the budget to go do what we wanted to do yet, but we're working on a plan at the moment that will include a significant new partnership. Uh, and, and if everything works out, and we are in the final stages of that right now, if everything works out, we will be able to, to, I think, vault to a whole new level of progress. But we've already signed up 2,000 people, just shy of, just on the tippy top of that. Um, 2,000 people who have said they will go visit their representative or senators in waves of three, five, or six of them at a time as soon as we get to 300 people in their district. So they're agreeing that when we get to 300, they are committing at that point to join one, a group of three, five, six people at a time who will go day after day, wave after wave into that office, another three or five people, another three or five people, another three or five people into that office saying, we want the one, the one subject at a time act. We want the read the bills act. We also, I can tell you that there was an overlap between the people who were protesting this speaker and who have sponsored the one subject at a time act. Um, Good. So the, I, I, I believe this actually is doable. And my experience has been uh, you know, again, the fact I haven't been out speaking for the last four or five years, notwithstanding, has been that it didn't matter until now whether or not you were Republican or Democrat. You recognized that the bills needed to be read and only yeah. the best stuff needed. Only the cream should rise to the top. Not everything should be come law. Not every good idea should get spent money on. Right. And most of them aren't good ideas, frankly. 
not every one of those things should be covered. These large omnibus bills, everybody can see from the outside that this represents dysfunction, unless you're not quite smart enough to work, function in modern society and you go to work at the New York Times. Yeah, or apparently any of the other major media Yeah, at this point. Yeah, no, they really, it really is us against them, okay? And I'm saying this, listen, <laughs> Be progressive as you want. Be as conservative as you want. Be as you know green or libertarian or whatever as you want. Okay, I'm telling you that they don't care. There's an establishment group that works together against your interests, and they rig and write all of the rules. And in the time that we have spent here together today, I haven't even covered all of the ways they rig it. It is incredible how little voice they want you to have. It is, it is startling. It is almost, it is scary that when someone says, Hey, you know, I think they ought to wait 72 hours before they pass the bill that you become an enemy of party and of the, the country. That's what's going on right here. And that's what's not been covered by the regime media. So we've got the initiative from Downsize DC that we can jump into and start to help. I'm going to be the cynic for a second <laughs> and just wonder how much pressure we really need to bring on Congress to uh, adequately represent our interests and what it'll take. I mean, let's somewhere between writing letters and in the middle of that, the 300 and then on the outside of it outright revolution. Do we have a shot at this, Jim? All government of any kind, I don't care what you're going to pick, and I don't care how authoritarian the regime, all government relies upon the consent of the governed. All government relies upon the consent of the government. If consent is withdrawn, they go away. They can't do what they want to do. And we've all seen examples of laws at a local level that the police no longer enforce because no one's complying with them anymore. So we know that this principle exists. We know that this is reality. The problem that we have today is that people are led around by the nose uh, using something called media agenda setting th theory. The media agenda setting theory works this way. Whatever the news media is talking about, that's what we're talking about. That's what the, everybody else in the media, the rest of the media talks about. Every, it becomes a giant echo chamber and it, it spills over to the water cooler at work and, and, and to the dinner table at home uh, and so on. Uh, the, the fence post with your neighbor, this becomes the way we all talk. And the talking points are handed down by partisan media on each side. So the debate is limited to kind of a very small window, as it were. That's the acceptable terms of where the debate's at. You notice that today we were completely outside that window. We weren't in it at all because they that everybody is just focused on what it is that they're hearing. And God yeah. bless them. They're busy. They're working. They have families. They have lives. They got to get the kids to ball practice. They got to go see the grandkids. They've got a trip they're planning for. They've got a hospitalization going on, a medical procedure. They've got all kinds of things they got to do. And so th they shouldn't be expected. The government shouldn't be this big or dramatic a role in our lives anyway, but it is. And it gets there because what ends up happening is people take those, those ideas and they follow along with their tribe or their team and they go to war with each other. And they don't realize that while they're busy shooting at each other, there's a group of people who are winning 
and it ain't you and it ain't me and it's not your neighbor. It's a, it's they're all they're all in Washington, D.C., or they're all working for these major media organizations or they're all working for the big contractors that are benefiting from the large just that's being voted out to them. Those are the people that are winning the game right now. So we have to stop being manipulated. That's why when we uh, kind of renamed Downsize DC, we called this plan Agenda Setters because we wanted people to get out of this mode and say, you know what? I'm going to pay attention. I'm going to keep my eye on the main prize. I want the Read the Bills Act. I want the One Subject of Time Act. I want the Write the Laws Act. We also put three uh, criminal justice reform proposals there. And we said, don't focus on everything that's being thrown at you today because by next week, it'll probably be gone. If not two weeks from now, it'll be gone. There's very few stories that have staying power beyond that. And, and they're going to keep whipping you around, whipping you around and getting you, they need to get you back to the point where the, where you're fighting each other. That's what they need. And so I'm making a personal appeal to people who are watching and listening right now. Don't let them set your agenda. You be the agenda setter. And that's where our hope begins to lie. Because once that happens, once that eye-opening experience happens and people commit, that's a withdrawing of consent. And we're that much closer to the day when they can't do this anymore. They lose the legitimacy that they need to continue to operate. I'd like to call this the new McCarthyism. <laughs> Which part if, of it? <laughs> if we've been hamstrung by a, a coalition of uh, the greedy since 1996 and lost more and more of our voice along the way, how is that any different from communism? Well, I, I guess you could say that communism means that the government owns all property um, and all means of production. But I, I take your point because uh, there is an authoritarian aspect to it. We're not represented. The term that most people normally use and the left is a little more comfortable using it than the right is oligarchy, right? There's a ruling class and they've rigged all the rules. And most of them are designed with the appearance that somehow or other we have a voice or we can participate. I like the way you use the word rigged. I, I have, as you voted libertarian for a long time, and it's a it's a very difficult thing to vote that way, people, because everybody else is like, why aren't you on our team? But the point here is that it's not about the team you're on. It's about what you managed to accomplish. And if a team of people working together, whether they're called ultra conservatives or ultra liberals, doesn't matter to me, can get us closer to the place where we are actually represented in our democracy by the people that we elect, that seems like a good thing. And I'm willing to work with anybody who wants to work toward that. You know, I, just if I could put in a plug for my team, so to speak, at this moment, <laughs> the there are large, vast media operations that, uh, in fact, it's the majority of the regime media that are pro-Democrat party. And there are large... Uh, institutions, Fox News being the biggest one that provide information for the Republican Party. I get to hear all your talking points. But how often do you get to hear mine? How often do you get to hear something that's outside of that window? How often do you even pause to think, wait a minute, there might be a third way? Just three. Like, I'm not even asking you to say, because there might be four or five or 10, but that's complicated. Three ways of thinking. How often do you pause and say, well, you know, it's not just the bad guys and it's not just my good guys. There might actually be a third way here. 
I know what your talking points are because you broadcast them at me all day. But most of you who are not in, not a libertarian like me, don't understand that there's a third way. And by the way, I feel the same for the people in the Green Party. They have a set of, of values too that get ignored. I'm, I, I'm, I don't happen to agree with many of those values, but they get ignored. There's, and, and it's, I'm telling you, it's one unit up there. And their number one concern here in the New York Times was that that centralized authority, the whole country, you want to know what the new McCarthyism here is, Bill, if you want to try to boil it down to one thing, it's the idea that one man is so important to the future of the country that if it wasn't this one man, that all 330 million of us might perish. It's absurd. Yeah, the next great leader who will fix the problems, right? Yes. Now, it's going to come from us. It's going to come from you, Jim, from me, from everyone who's listening, from voters is where the fix starts. Awareness. I just want to open eyes today. That's what I wanted to do.